The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and ethical consumerism in a capitalist society. The Book Thingo bloggers are together again for episode 74, recorded in Sydney. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Australia's Indigenous people to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo Podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance. Kill a fairy fast on the Book Thingo Podcast. Welcome back to the Book Thingo Podcast. I'm Kat Mayo from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Rudy and Gabby join me again as we attempt to read the same book. The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. We intended to talk about WLW books, but in true BT Pod style, we found ourselves off topic frequently. You can find information on the titles and authors we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 74. And if you're on Twitter, you can live tweet while listening to the show using the hashtag BT Pod. So before we start, I should let you know I'm slightly hungover. <laughs> so oh my god! If I don't talk, maybe I'm just trying not to like be sick. <laughs> oh my god! Why are you hungover? What did you do? I don't know because I'm getting old. Like I had like three glasses, but I think white wine is my downfall always. Like white wine. <laughs> Let's do names. I was just gonna say, shall we start with? I'm Cat. <laughs> This might be the most energetic I am for the entire podcast. All right, give me one more good one. I'm Kat. I'm Gabby. And I'm Rudy. And so this episode, we're going to be talking about FF romance or women love women loving women romance. I'm questioning the loving. like it- WLW, which is an acronym. Yes. Yeah, that's women. right. <laughs> For women who love women. And yeah, we're really confident talking about this. <laughs> are we are we all hungover? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I think maybe emotionally hungover. Something. Wow. But like for once, possibly the first time ever, we've all read the same book yeah. in roughly the same time period. So we've all fairly recently read The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics. We're not gonna go through the book beat by beat but like it was a starting point yeah confession can I have my confession time now <laughs> yes I love that confession time starts so fucking early <laughs> let's I go only got to seven, I only got to 72 percent oh you didn't finish no oh Kat did you actually I finish? did finish the book <gasps> oh, Gabby smugly she says so smugly <laughs> wow but- I thought my main thing with Ladies Guide to Celestial Mechanics is the lack of tension. One of the biggest things that I need is drama between the two wanting to be together but realising that they can't. But I just felt like it really lacked tension and they came to the realisation that they were wanted to be together really early in the book and there were very, very minor things. Like the the story wasn't really about them, it's about – them, it's not about them together. It's about their journey as individual women who just happen to be together, you which I, I respect, but it's not the type of romance that I want to read. You didn't think that there was, like, some of that stuff about Catherine feeling like she's got to kind of compete with the memory of Pris and also, like... And then Lucy feeling like Catherine's not fully committing. Like, you don't think that that was enough drama for you? But they they just didn't have that much at stake. Like, as plot devices, they make sense. But the way that the story was constructed against those uh, conflicts just wasn't high stakes enough for me. I'm just like, yeah, they're nice people having a nice love story. And I made it to chapter two, which is great, but also you got finished a bit bored. It. I did finish it. it. Well, so before I started this book, I had started a different book. Um, I'd started No Two Ways 
by Chia Rodriguez, but I stopped after chapter one, so <laughs> the fact that I made it to chapter two in the next book seemed oh. like good achievement, yeah. But I, I agree with Gabby. I found the pacing really slow and I found the romance there was a mismatch between the romance and the plot, so they're kind of running parallel. But usually a great romance has an external plot that really complements the highs and lows of the romance. And in this one, I didn't feel that that really happened. I just felt like the romance was going in one track, the external stuff was going in another track, and they didn't always come together in the most dramatic places to, like, beef up the drama. Right. I, I totally agree. I can, I think that that is a really, really good summation of it should we recap the plot yes so that lucy's uh lucy's a an astronomer an astronomer mathematician she's a mathematician and space person i don't know she's an (laughs) astrophysicist (laughs) sure all right yeah okay so she is obviously in a science field and she has worked with her dad for a really long time and she's been working with him towards the end of his life and he wasn't really the most active in terms of his mathematical prowess towards towards that time you read a different book to me (laughs) and so she like stepped up and did all the calculations and she had a correspondence with this woman named Catherine who's the Countess of Moth and she's married to this explorer in inverted is he an explorer or an archaeologist he is a rich man who goes on expeditions like he funds them, he wants to be known as an explorer and scientist and all round dude. But the thing about those types of people at that time is that like they didn't have to do the grunt work. They just got to like they threw in the money and then got to put their name on. But he, he wasn't but like nothing that he did was particularly significant, which was kind of his whole like chip on his shoulder was because like he he was always sort of just that little bit underperforming what he thought his success would be and as a result he would treat his wife exceptionally poorly and put her down and it was an incredibly abusive relationship and she uh I, I, she was definitely impacted by that in terms of her self-esteem and her self-worth so she battles with that but yeah what else am i missing I just, I just want to point out that um, Lucy's father was actually an exceptional mathematician and scientist. Not the end of his line, no. he wasn't like, like he declined when he was older. Right? But Ewing, yeah. So his work sort of slowed down, and he he became less competent. But everything that she did came from that foundation that he had taught her. He was brilliant, so was she. But like the difference between the two of them was that. She was working from knowledge that he had already built and then extrapolating further. And that's kind of, it's a big aspect to this story is that thing of like standing on the shoulders of people. Well, that's what like the translation when she's recruited to do this translation or rather she requests to do this translation of this work from French into English to make it more accessible to people in England. She doesn't just do a direct translation. She adds to it and she, uh, what does she do? She adds to it and puts a creative spin on it almost. She makes makes it accessible to non-scientific readers, I think. is Yeah. Well, yeah, she decides to kind of go back to basics and, and there's a lot of assumed knowledge in the French version. And she decides to kind of unpack that assumed knowledge and include the explanations of references she does that because um a lot of the assumed knowledge was also in different languages like french and so if you didn't read french you wouldn't have read the text from which the knowledge was being assumed so she thought that in order to provide a translated work you would have to put in the backbone of the work that had come before it which actually so now so when Rudy mentioned that um a big thing in this novel is about how you build on top of work already done by other people that's actually something I didn't pick up but yeah which I think is really interesting about this book because something that it does as a romance novel it's building on the work of other romance novels that Mm -hmm. have come before it like there's an intertextuality to it that 
I found really interesting, even if there were some aspects where I was just like, oh, okay. Like the the fact that it was there, like the subversions that it did and the kind of the questions that it raises, because it spends a lot of time talking to us about like kind of challenging this idea of like feminine knowledge versus masculine knowledge. So art versus science was kind of this massive theme, right? Because Catherine does these incredible, like she's got this love of botany and she expresses it through her embroidery. And she also, she kind of, she creates this secret code that she uses between herself and her aunt and like it takes a long time for her to actually like to start to agree with I I feel like it is Lucy who kind of points it out to her that like what she is doing is no less valuable and no less like it 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 takes just as much intelligence it takes just as much as of like ingenuity like all of those things where we kind of because there's been like this massive when when we think about like romance novels of the 80s there was a lot of I'm not like other girls I like science I like maths I like boy things and then we kind of maybe that wasn't the 80s maybe that was more a 90s thing and now I'm starting to see a lot of like historical romance in particular where they're like there's value in women's work yeah like like I fucking love embroidery because it serves a purpose and like and I love sci- like I love cooking and I don't get to do science but this is my way of doing the thing like following a recipe like it's chemistry like or understanding the chemistry of of baking and you can scoff as much as you like but like but I think this is where I am really conflicted about it because I think in every aspect I should like it it's it's WLW it's really political it's really subversive it does really amazing things when doing talking about all the issues that you're talking about but it kind of annoys me and my reaction because I don't know if I dislike it because it's it's not interesting to me and it's not and it's not a book that I think is is super engaging for me and what I'm looking for and and my tastes or if I'm applying my standards that are actually outdated and kind of problematic to a book that's doing all the right things like why am I not content with a book that does all of the things that I feel like I have complained about that's what I think is really funny like there's been sort of all this all these people being like I hate big misunderstandings why don't they just fucking talk to each other and and like be sensible and then Kat sent us a message the other night while she was reading (laughs) where she was like they're so sensible and rational and it's just so boring so so I mean like I want to call these low conflict romance books women's fiction is that all right No, you can't. Actually, because it's it's rude. It's not. It's not women's fiction. (laughs) It's offensive. (laughs) It is. is There's nothing wrong with women's fiction if you like that sort of thing. But like, okay. But going back to what Gabby said, when I read this book, normally I'm really nitpicky about like word choice, and there was nothing I could pick out of this book that annoyed me about the actual writing I just felt like the pacing was off and yes I kind of went through that thing of well is it just because I expect the pacing to be a certain way also I just didn't feel much chemistry between the two of them I'm just like agreed 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 like they were kind of oh I think I might have a crush on her and then they're kissing and then they're having sex and then and and then I'm like they're not disagreeing about anything really and then there was that little bit at the end which Fair enough, I actually cried because it was a little bit dramatic. But then it was really like one chapter later, I was like, I'm kind of bored again. Like, <laughs> Shit. Can I say something about, I, I, I had this conversation with Rudy before Kat had started reading about the tension um, and Kat, how you said you didn't feel the chemistry. I, I feel really great and justified in my dissatisfaction with that part because I thought that they just, they're, kind of passion for each other was very passive. And I was thinking, I was comparing it to reading other kinds of historicals and even other romance and thinking about how sexuality is constructed 
just generally in society and how male sexuality is seen as a really active or masculine sexuality is seen as a really active sexuality and aggressive sexuality and a woman's sexuality is seen as more passive and receptive so when you have what is seen as two receptive forces you don't necessarily get like the heightened chemistry of of what you have when you see in straight romance I don't know. It's. I think romance really plays on that. It really, really plays on that because it's very rare that we get a heroine that is kind of the sexual aggressor. Yeah, so one of the things that I was messaging you guys about was like, I just want a WLW romance with like an alpha heroine. Like, like yeah, that's what I want. Like I want a like, rakish like heroine. Right. I'm sure there is. I know, They're but just... where are they? Please, recommendations, welcome. <laughs> I, that, I think that's why I started reading um, The Fling or just looking for – and The Fling is – it's you can't compare it other than the fact that it's WLW because it's a contemporary and it's closer – the steam level is closer to erotica than either of the historical WLWs that I just read. So it's – I found Proper English and I found The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics both very almost sweet. Like, yes, there was on-page sex, but it wasn't – explicit in any way I thought do you agree yeah I mean it's a I I was just looking sort of for some of my favorite lines so Catherine let the days flow by like water while she put in stitch after stitch after stitch as though each one were mending a small rent in Lucy Michelle's heart (laughs) I was like you're reading it so nicely and then you ruined it with Yeah, like it's really romantic. Like it's it incredibly is. It's, romantic. Olivia Waits writing, but it's very really good. But it, yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful and romantic, but in a very kind of quiet, understated way. And she's got like she has such amazing metaphors. Yeah, it's her writing like is scattered so throughout. Good. I think if those moments had been left to stand or had been amplified, not by making the sex scenes more explicit or by making anything more just by making the other parts slightly less. So not this book specifically, but generally speaking. What I don't like is when I feel like the book is trying to teach me something because what I want the book to do is to trust me to understand what the story is saying to me without having to actually tell me everything like explicitly. Like, okay, so maybe other readers need that. I don't know whether it's just – I just feel like – like, trust me to understand what you've written in one sentence. You don't have to put an entire paragraph around it to explain what you meant. And I think that's part of where I have an issue with the pacing because I'm like, yeah, I get it already. Like, and we're still banging on about it. Like, half a page <laughs> later, like, stop. Yeah. I want them to bang I, each other. Yeah, yeah. On. <laughs> and to some extent, I just want to read a book that assumes that this is okay rather than trying to explain why it's okay. And I think we probably need both both kinds of books. Just like, don't bang on too long. (laughs) Do you know what I thought was interesting? Because, I mean, in part, I felt like it was a device for showing us that this is okay and that there is, like, HEA potential for them, was that there is, like, right there on the page, we've got a character who is an older woman who has had that, like she's had that great love in her life. And and it's strongly implied that she is connected to other women who have had that as well. Like Yeah, like there are success stories. You know that it's going to last yeah. and you're not going to have people being like, oh, no, like it's just not realistic for the time. And it's like any historian will tell you that relationships like this were common. So that was the scene in the garden, right? I really love that. So that's what I'm looking for. Like, yes, put it in the dialogue as like things that are unsaid that you trust the reader to understand. But there was just... Like that wall. Because these are also the things that when you reread a book, you go, oh, my God, that's what that meant. Because when I read it first, I was rushing through to see what the romance was going to be. Now that I'm reading, reading it again, you know, it's like my secret code now. Now that I know the ending, these are all the subtle things. I think for me, the issue wasn't the 
the relationship to me wasn't problematized. The relationship to me wasn't, and that that's good. It wasn't like an issue. I don't think either of them really struggled with their same-sex attraction. It wasn't like it was a point of conflict. The main conflicts were the other, like, women's work being valued. That's the main thing that was underpinning everything. And to me, that was too loud. I don't think anyone's going to disagree, but it was almost like I was trying to be convinced. So it's exactly what you said, Kat, like I was trying to be taught something. But it's like I wasn't disagreeing yeah, from the get-go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What I want for a, a, a romance novel with two heroines is to have all the focus on that. I want to see that relationship grow. I want to see that relationship be the absolute prime focus. And I want it to be given the same weight that I see in other books. So I think maybe that's my issue that I, it wasn't speaking to me because the message was for someone else. Yeah. I wanted yeah. This is why I think it's borderline women's fiction. <laughs> the sad thing is, is that I kind of understand see? what you're saying. Like see? I'm offended by it, <laughs> but I, I'm offended can't... by myself, but like, I have to be honest as a reader, this is kind of where I Sitting the, at the moment. The reason that I find it rude that you keep <laughs> saying it is because we all know that you don't actually like women's fiction. So when you're saying that, you're like, well, but I guess what it I, is a well, diss. You can say that it's no, not a diss, but it is. Well, what I'm trying to say is it actually makes me feel like what I would feel if I read a women's fiction book where I understood what the book was trying to do and I appreciate the writing but it just kind of didn't really emotionally grip me. I don't know if you'd actually like it because I am starting to suspect that you don't like anything ever, (laughs) but Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure by Courtney Milan. I I don't know that I would say that either of them are alpha heroines, but there's one that's very, like, she's dashing. And she kind of... She pulls the other heroine into like some some misadventures, and it's it actually was quite fun to read. And I mean, there's still like there are there are parts about it that again didn't super work for me. But so it's not exactly yeah, it's not going down as my favorite Courtney Milan in the world. But it's still pretty great. So I'm reading the Goodreads review. KJ Charles's first sentence about it is, a thoroughly enjoyable, lighthearted, frothy romance, which is also a howl of pure screaming rage. Yes. True. All right, that sounds like it's they, up my alley. Look, basically, like, she's got the, the dashing heroine has got, like, a terrible no-good nephew because, like, she has all the money and he is expecting to inherit and he's kind of a prick about it, running up bills everywhere and so they decide to kind of semi-ruin his life. It's really fun. This is the one with the 73-year-old. Yes. 73 years young heroine. And 96-year-old, is that right? The other lady? I'm nine and 60. 69. Oh, 69. It's going to sound just like that's I really like, old. I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I think because Celestial Mechanics and Proper English were both getting similar buzz at the same time, I accidentally had read proper English first when we had started Mm. talking about this so um it didn't help that I could never remember the name of it I was like yeah it was like something something celestial beings (laughs) (laughs) oh my god you did keep calling it that I think because I've read I've read more of KJ Charles's stuff than I have of Olivia Waite it was easier for me to kind of get a handle on style and to see the differences um for KJ Charles and it was so interesting because I would think that KJ Charles writes quite sexy MM romance, like all the um, MLM, sorry, that I've read of hers, I don't know, has been quite sexy. Like I think it's been, uh, the tension's been there. The chemistry has been really well written. And I don't think with proper English it was either. And I felt the same way Mm. when I went straight from proper English to Celestial Mechanics. It felt like I was reading a really similar framework a really similar kind of template of two women, one who was a little older, a little more experienced, and the other slightly younger, but like still, I don't know, like, I don't know, they were really similar in terms of their chemistry levels. 
Have you noticed, and like maybe this is just because it's historical romance and also I'm drawing from a really small like reading pool here, but that it seems to be like it's typically like one heroine who has had unsatisfying sexual experiences. It made me a little bit sad. It made like it's it's that thing of, you know, the only person I can truly like have good sex with is the person that I properly love. Like I I kind of wish that that hadn't been an element of this book. But that's a that pretty standard romance thing too. I know, right? and I'm like if you're going to subvert things like fucking go <laughs> hard. <laughs> Like that's did. listen. That's that book a, did a lot of things. So. But like that's a trope that like just sucks. I, and I actually do think again because all the politics and all the subversion seem to be happening with like outside of the romance. Mm. I don't know if their love, if their yeah, love good story. Good point. Good point. Maybe that's why why it was such a disappointment to me that that was one of the few things that was not subverted or questioned. Mm. Yeah. Um, I have Just, another rec for you, though, Kat, okay. of, like, kind of potentially, like, yeah, a more dashing. So I, look, I keep saying this, but also I thought that Lucy was pretty fucking dashing. I really enjoyed her. But um, she was, like, she was cute. I, like, I think. Like, I just wanted there to be actually, more between them. Yeah, I wanted yeah, that. Actually, I think. I, I think she takes, she takes her biggest risk and her, like, most kind of her biggest leap happens when she's all by herself and she's like, she decides that she's going to go and introduce herself to. Like, that was to so woman. incredibly powerful. Like, I actually huge. love that. Yeah. I love and that. She, it happens right at the start and she does it all by and herself. And, and then, done. yeah. And then there's kind Do of you know what? not too there many other moments. Maybe, maybe because I am always looking at power in relationships and I think that's a really beautiful and kind of glorious thing to explore there is that there is that moment towards the end of towards the end of my reading of the book where <laughs> Catherine has finally accepted that what she does is worthwhile that's at 70 percent. I can mm. tell you that for sure she finally accepts that what she does is worthwhile and she it kind of empowers her to take charge and it kind of empowers her to I don't know, be a little bit more assertive with Lucy and Lucy is living for it. Lucy loves it. Lucy seems really there for it. But then it's like it's done. There's that little hint of an exploration of of their relationship and their passion and their chemistry. But then it's like we're finished. But she spends so much of like the precursor to that agonizing over the power imbalance between them because she she is lucy's one and only source of income and she's got a she is really deeply questioning what happens if everything falls apart where does that leave them as a couple because she's already been burnt by something like that in her marriage and again something that she's already been burnt by is how much of lucy's interest in her comes from the fact that she is supporting her financially and allowing her to follow her dreams. Kind yeah, of thing. like she is her <sighs> benefactress, and the power imbalance of that is huge. But like I mean, that's that's why when you guys were like, "There's not like there's no drama," I'm like, "There is drama." You yeah, just refuse to look like at it. But that's not even she doesn't focus on it. She actually she does. does. I don't think, no, no, I think, I think it's um, it's so squished in at the last bit of the novel and actually I only vaguely remember this bit because I was I wanted to finish the novel so I basically Don't rushed through the end. Don't think either you actually read it. I did read it but also it wasn't <laughs> that interesting to I me. I didn't read the entire thing. I confessed that it's early from the on. Start, like it's right from the start that they... Subtleties of that were, were lost on me and maybe I am more base in what I expect of my romance novels and it wasn't delivering. <laughs> you guys like, are up, really. so annoying yeah. when you're just like, I hate being hit over the head with it, but also spoon feed me. <laughs> <laughs> we are the worst readers. Like, literally, really bad. Can you can you understand that 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 to me that to me was not the focus of ninety percent of their conversations? It was just too many words. Too many words. Here's one of my notes. I'm halfway through the book and I already feel like I've read twice as many words as I needed to. Stand by that. They were beautiful words, but too many of them. I'm crying. 
fucking did. hate you guys. I didn't. So at least I didn't say so it should have been a novella. <laughs> no, it shouldn't have been a novella. But can I finish my point before you interrupt? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> their conversations were so hinged on them each achieving their individual dreams that, like, I stand by it. I don't think that their relationship was the main point of conflict or the main point of focus in the novel. Agree to disagree, but all right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but I'm right. okay. Oh, but um, okay. Let me let me go back to this recommendation. <laughs> I don't think I, I I now don't think that I can recommend anything to either of you because why? Because you don't actually read the books. Hey, that's actually so rude. That's so rude. I always read what you tell me to read. <laughs> You read the words, but do you actually understand them? That's so mean. <laughs> That's so mean. That's so rude. Okay, so Cat Sebastian has a again. This is a novella. Like, there's a lot of novellas that have come out fairly recently. A little like mischief. A little yeah. like mischief. Molly is a lady's maid, and Alice is the companion of like an older rich lady. Molly has very definitely been a thief at like other points in her life. She's the one that I think is kind of dashing. Like she knows the power she has over other people because she can be charming and she can be, well, she can be whoever you need her to be. I read that just the other night and I really enjoyed it. But like. It seems like it will be up my alley. And I really do like Cat Sebastian. I really like Olivia Waite and KJ Charles as well. I really like some of their other books. Um, but Cat Sebastian, I think. Yes. Alice had her eye on that lady's maid. Love it. Mm-hmm. Keen. Yeah. This is another one that just it had a lot. The sewing metaphors were doing a lot of fucking work in this book. Embroidery I swear to, I swear to God, like there's, there is something at the moment about like embroidery. It just, it, everyone's into it right now. I don't know. Reclaiming like those old feminine arts. Potentially, But also yeah. like. Have you felt that a lot of romance readers have suddenly taken up knitting? <laughs> I feel like it's somewhat related. Surely knitting has been around for a really long time. No, but I feel like knitting it's is on the a uptake. thing that people are doing. I They're haven't a seen bit it like anywhere. jogging. I don't know whether it's an age thing. <laughs> and the bloody, what's that tough mutter? I'm just like, why, guys? I don't need to see that on my Facebook. What there is happening is... to your Twitter feed? Like, seriously, <laughs> what are you seeing? No, there's like... It's a thing, trust me. There's this thing about women who take on these hobbies that are work. And it's it's such an interesting thing. Because, like, ostensibly, like, knitting is work, embroidery is work, making bread. Like, there's it's oh, this work. Yeah. Like, it's this hobby that you can have where, like, there's a product at the end of it. And, look, I'll throw us in as well. Like, podcasting is part of that whole kind of culture of, like, this is my hobby, but don't worry. Like, I've made use of my time and my, like, my free time by putting together this thing. It's interesting to me the way that that kind of stuff has become more and more popular because it like it was it's always been kind of a thing but it's definitely like oh and like the way that people have well women in particular have reclaimed those like homemaker kind of activities as yeah again as a hobby and you're like okay Jam making. Yes. I'm really fascinated by jam making. Yes. I'm going to make jam one day. I'm going to bring it to the podcast. It'll be my tribute to Rudy. (laughs) Send it to me. And me, please. But, like, I don't know. Like, are men knitting? I don't know. Does it matter, though? Do they need to be? Well, why are we just doing knitting and baking? Because those those have been denigrated for so long, Kat. That's the point. Kat's, like, scrunching up her nose. Um, She doesn't give a shit. I think she, like actively disagrees but can't be bothered arguing (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what my valid very valid valid arguments are but i'm sure there are some but yeah it's like i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm just saying it's an interesting thing look maybe i'm just jealous because i can't knit and i don't make beautiful looking cakes but i do make yummy look yummy tasting cakes and i don't know how to make bread (laughs) 
I just buy croissants from the cafe. It's fine. I had a I had a conversation with my dad, which is always fun. He was like, "Why don't you learn an instrument?" What I had to kind of get across to him was that one of the things that I like about dance is that it's an hour where I go in and I do something and literally no one but me knows that I've done the thing. Like there's nothing to show for it. There's something lovely about that. Yeah, I can't take the time commitment of having to create things. You make a podcast. Yeah, but you're you're creating the thing, right? I literally, it's like she it's just, like a dance routine. Taught. I come here, I just talk. You're actually do you do most of the work? So here, you're the instrument player, and I'm the dancer. <laughs> I actually hate that metaphor. That makes me feel. <laughs> I hate it really too. Sick. Oh my god! Gabby, Any what's your hobby? Reading is reading a hobby. I was I about to suggest that. reading to you. It's like reading, but then I get distracted with Great British Bake Off. I've literally watched five <laughs> seasons in two weeks. That's my hobby, watching Great British Bake Off. I think that that's a valid hobby. How? Because I think that it's bullshit to say that it has to be something that is productive. Like the point yeah, of a I hobby. I hate hobbies that feel like work. It's the really... point of a hobby is enjoyment. If that's your way of like switching off then that's your way of switching up and that's nice. Well, that's really great. That makes me feel a lot better about my life and my life choices. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for that. I am, I'm going to actually remember that. Hobbies don't have to be productive. No. I think I actually was reading someone's tweet the other day and they were saying how there's this myth that we always do have to be doing something and it's one of the most dangerous aspects of capitalism where we constantly feel the pressure Mm. to be producing and creating and working. Otherwise, our time is wasted. Yeah, see? Exactly. Oh, my God, that's capitalism. And we fucking hate capitalism. Exactly. Unless (laughs) unless we're getting sponsored. (laughs) I only hate capitalism when it doesn't interfere with my, oh, K-pop. I love K-pop. That's a hobby. It is. See? I go to concerts. Anyway, should we talk about romance some more as well? Potentially. Or does Kat need to talk about her hobbies? Remember, because Kat said that podcasting is her hobby and I am the musician yes. of the... Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, she ruined, she ruined the analogy and we're not going to ask her questions anymore. <laughs> She's out of the conversation now. <laughs> I used to have hobbies. Now every time I think of picking one up, I just think, oh, that's work. But okay, like that was kind of where I was going with my point about sewing and knitting and baking and hobbies like that. For all of these, or a lot of these kind of hobbies have grown in popularity and it's interesting the types of groups that are drawn to them and like who gets kudos for it as well. Like who gets to call it a hobby and who is like just doing like the actual everyday living their lives I don't don't know I have theories about why that's happening but I don't okay what's your theory fully know yeah I want to know what has kind of prompted you to think this way like have you seen something that's triggered this path I've seen and I've listened to a lot of things that have kind of made me start thinking about how we spend our like leisure time and how we capitalize on it. So like some of that is that, you know, like we're living in, we're living in an era where a lot of us do have to have like an actual supplementary to our, to our salary or like you have to have some kind of capital gain to whatever you are putting out. Like people are having like Etsy stores and like people are, people are like selling the stuff that they're making And they're not just doing it for themselves. They're actually like doing it to sell. Yeah. So some of that is like it's pure economics, capitalism shit. Right. And then other parts of it is that like, like there are other people who they don't actually have the capacity to even like then they don't have leisure time to even be able to turn their leisure time into a product. So there's that. But then also, like, I think women in particular, we're, we're kind of often 
positioned as thinking like, I can't have free time to myself. Like, so I've got to do something productive with it. But so for me, there's a couple of things. So A is the women who are into these crafts and baking activities. And then B, it's the women buying the products because largely it's also women buying the knitting products, the sewing products, the baking products. I don't know if they're getting sold. So I think there's also a, it's also the market for people who want to buy those things, who don't have the time to make them, but like the outcomes. So it's like an economy that's sort of created itself within women's work. Yeah, but it's like, because it's, it's an economy that fetishizes labor intensive work. And, but like, and, and I get that there is, because the other part of the argument, and this is why I'm all tangled up by all of this, is that like, what's perceived to be like, non-intensive is, is like, products that like, we're just not seeing where the labor comes from. And it's just like cheap. Yeah. stuff that you buy from like commoditized stuff. yeah like it's it's this like mass-produced stuff that like mm. we get to pretend was made by a machine but it probably is like there's a lot of like people who are paid low wage labor. very low yeah. wages oh. in the background that we just if we want to not look we can because we're in a first world country so yeah welcome to so deep <laughs> Bookfingers treaties on capitalism and the perils of exploitation of women's labor. Yeah, I really do think that I think what you said about leisure being a luxury is a really interesting point. And but how how much leisure is leisure if people have to capitalize on it? So do you have enough? Can you afford to have a hobby? Can you afford to spend free time? doing things that you like to do or are you working around the clock? And if you do have that free time, can you afford to do it for no money? I I, I can see, I can kind of follow your train of thought, but it's, it's an interesting one that is bound up (laughs) in lots of class and race kind of issues. But there is a, there is a, a thing or a trend where we kind of prize um how busy we are yeah sort of but like things that are not mass market so you know we see it in things like craft beer which is possibly mass marketed but not as much as commercial beer um we see it in you know um you know, those market weekend markets that are actually quite pricey. So the only people who can really afford it are those who, for some reason, prioritize handmade goods over everything else or people who can actually afford to buy a dress that's like four times the price of what you would normally get that dress for in the shops. Hmm. That's that's what I mean by like there. there's a level of like fetishizing like labor intensive work that goes that's like part of this conversation but isn't that a but is that a positive thing for women no well i'm i'm not arguing that any of this is necessarily positive like and it's super weird that it is a book like it's literally a book that made me start to question this of like you know cuz like catherine is sort of embodying all this as like as this woman whose embroidery has like all this kind of depth to it and yet was ignored and dismissed and like completely overlooked by like by her husband for so like for their entire marriage to the point where she was able to create like an entire secret language through her embroidery Mm. but like yeah so I kind of I was reading it and I was like oh fuck there is so much to this that like I want to just can can I can I interject because when we're talking about this I, I I've just been thinking about the Penny Reed book the entire time the Penny Reed book with the the baking queen the banana yeah banana baking queen the issue that I had with that is that they tried to make baking and the issue that I have generally with Penny Reed's books is that her books aren't like other books that's how they're marketed they're clever romances they're smart romances and I say that in inverted commas but the thing with that book and that heroine is that she 
is an amazing baker, but it's not just that she's an amazing baker. The baking is legitimized through science, seemingly, and I and I and I want to put scare quotes around legitimized, but she's taken more seriously because her baking has a scientific basis or she approaches it with a scientific mind. And this is the parallels that I'm finding or that I'm thinking about with Catherine's embroidery. Her embroidery isn't just embroidery. It's legitimized through the fact that it has hidden meanings and it's scientific and it's smart, it's clever. And it's like, well, does it need to be, to be valued? Like, why do we need to have it be Can't it just be pretty? Yeah, can't it just be pretty? Can't that be, like, her incredible skill is that it's fucking beautiful? Can't the baker's baking be incredible because it's freaking delicious? Why does it have to be sold? Why does it have to be marketed as something more than that for us to see value in it? Which, like, I'll admit I hadn't even considered... Like, I, I hadn't actually started to think about that, but that's, like... To me, I don't... Like, the way she... The way it's sold in, in this book, in... What book is it, Rudy? Beard Penny Science. Beard, <laughs> Beard Science. In Beard Science, the way it's presented is that it's not baking as science. It's science as baking. Mm. The, the focus is on the science aspect, not the, mm, let's make a beautiful cake. Mm, oh, yeah, that would bother because me. Because Kat, as, like, Kat, you don't understand the level of genius that this character is supposed to be. She's fluent in multiple languages. She's a regular pen pal of, I think it's at least, there's at least two different people. Um, one is French and the other is Japanese that she's writing to in their language so that her parents aren't aren't able to read her letters and like so she gets to have her whole like secret world because she's a genius so oh, i feel like while i need I will... to read this book now otherwise i can't participate in these conversations properly <laughs> but so it's like... extra, let's bring let's bring it back to Catherine. Catherine's embroidery is separate like they know that it's beautiful but it's special do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's a difference between it being beautiful and it being considered art and it be considered smart. Oh yeah, because Priscilla's embroidery for Lucy's dress, like that's beautiful and it yeah. is, but it's not science. It's not science. It's not special. It's not like it doesn't take that that extra step. Yeah, it's purely aesthetics. Mm. We're never ever meant to worry that like. That Lucy will choose Pris over mm. Catherine. Because I've derailed us like something <laughs> fucking fierce <laughs> by complicating this whole kind of what is meant to be just, you know, a romance novel that we were all meant to enjoy. Cool. No, don't say that. Um, we are complicated people. <laughs> so by, by We have depth. <laughs> we yes. have depth. Lots of depth. So like while while we're exploring our depths, um the one other thing that I was That's going to kind of so it, dirty. look, you're gonna feel like a fucking asshole when I finish this thought. <laughs> Carry on. Oh I just why? <laughs> <laughs> I was like talking to someone recently about about like the idea of, of having like time to volunteer to do things like any kind of time that you can actually like volunteer because leisure is one thing and then like volunteering is something that you do in your leisure time but it serves a particular purpose and then they were like "Mm, volunteering is like super racialized because the work that a lot of black and brown people but predominantly women do would probably be called volunteering your time in any other like in any other space except that we don't refer to it is that in that way like that kind of community mentality that comes in like that that is particularly present within like black and brown communities like in white communities that's considered volunteering it's noble yeah like it's a it's a thing that you do and you get a gold star for it but like within our own communities it is an accepted part of your life that you just have to like like regardless of whether you are feeling up to it or not you are expected to step up I think that's a really interesting interesting point um it's like 
in white communities, I think where individualism is the main kind of school of practice, where the goals of the individual are prized more than the goals of the community. Like it's easy to praise someone who goes out of their way to give their time to others. But in black and brown communities, I think that kind of individualism doesn't really exist so prevalently. Like it's community driven, it's collectivism, it's caring for others. And that's exactly what you said. That's not going above and beyond. That's an expectation. Like you are expected to be an active part of your community. It's a real fucking downer. But like the reason that this conversation kind of came about is because there was a there was a death in custody in Northern Territory in Yondamu and like attending the like the march and the vigil that happened in Sydney was like it was really obvious that within my own community it was and of course the organizing like in one way or another you were expected to show up because like that's that's what we do this is an issue that is of importance and you don't get a gold star for being there you you just go so I mean like I know that other people when people talk about volunteering they probably are thinking more like I'm gonna go and pick up rubbish it's like no I'm gonna go and like (laughs) fight for civil rights like that's yeah. It's funny, you said volunteering, but protesting and marching and like activism was one of the first things that I thought of, only because I think when I, like I have friends who attend marches and who go to these things. And I, when I was, when I was living in Sydney, I tried to attend a whole bunch of them, but then there were just times where I felt like I couldn't, or I didn't have time or something. And I felt really guilty for it. Like the guilt was pretty intense. It was like, well, no, you should be going, you should be marching. You should be like for, for any of it, for refugees and asylum seekers were the main kind of protests that were happening at that time and protesting Australia's treatment of um of refugees and asylum seekers but i think like activism <laughs> it's real i feel like i'm going really off topic but activism i feel can look different in different communities and it has to look different in different communities but it should all be valued the same so if i can't make it to a protest i would kind of like reason with myself and it was like no no it's okay you're doing work elsewhere but I had to justify my justify it to myself so I didn't feel the crushing guilt of not stepping up, of not giving my time kind of thing. So we're talking about historical novel here, right? So to me, part of the issue of volunteering and doing good works is an attempt by the author to repair the class disparity between the reader and the sort of aristocratic characters that they have. And sometimes also it's a way to repair the hero's character, especially if they're a rake or a scoundrel. The fact that they, I don't know, support an orphanage or save an orphan provides a character reference for them to say, yeah, you know, he's a, this hero has been a dickhead in his past, but, you know, he's got a good heart and he helps innocent people who are in need. Mm. And I know it's, I feel like it's now a bit of a shortcut in our genre around like, what makes this character a character that is worthy of a happy ending? They've been born with a silver spoon in their mouths. What are they doing to repair the inequality that other people have um, in relation to them? I feel like I feel like in historical novels, um, that's been something that authors have been trying to address for a while. Because, you know, when you really step back and think about it, we're looking at like aristocratic dickheads, heroes and heroines all over the place. So you've got to find a way to make them relatable um, and sympathetic. I guess just in case you don't remember what book we're talking about. I do know. I, there's no like there's no, book. yeah, there's there's not any like explicit like volunteering or activism. No, but I mean generally but, yeah. in this subgenre. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just clarifying. I'm just making yes, sure you, that you're on the right page, <laughs> on the right <laughs> book. The right page. I will speak to that. I will speak to that and say that I don't think it repairs the disparity. I think it highlights the disparity. I don't, I, don't, mm. I don't think it necessarily humanizes them. I actually think it makes them more unattainable. The fact that they have the resources at their disposal to become benefactors to these disadvantaged communities. But, like, I think of, oh, my God, 
Okay, I'm going to recall names and titles and Rudy's going to like correct me. So in Devil in Winter. That's definitely a book. Yes. yes. <laughs> Is it Evie and Sebastian? <laughs> Got it right. Hang on, hang on, hang on. One second. Kat, <laughs> I'm going to get the plot wrong. <laughs> who's it by? Please say it wrong. Please say it wrong. What I would do to Lisa Clay Paz. I should drink more often before the podcast. Okay, so tell us tell um, us so, about Evie and Sebastian. So if I recall this plot correctly, she basically kidnaps him and keeps him in the orphanage. Is that right? <laughs> what the fuck? Is that wrong? Please tell me that's Is that wrong? wrong? <laughs> that's that's like... terribly wrong. Oh, my God. A... What book am I thinking of? No book. Keep ever. telling, us, keep telling us this book of your heart. <laughs> God, I was so positive so she, so she it right. Kidnaps him and keeps him in an orphanage, and then what happens? I don't know. She basically reforms him. Okay, do you want to know what actually happened? Yeah, that'll be great. Um, but I feel like my plot is better. Was it in a previous book? He attempted to kidnap her friend. No. Okay, maybe I, I was that. thinking of a different book. So in this book, she goes to his house and suggests they elope, and then yeah, okay, they agree, is... and then they go and okay. they get married in Scotland, and then they come back. And they live in her father's gaming hell. But I'm positive that this book I'm talking about exists. I'm going to have to find it now. And I don't know which book it is. All right. But what was the point you were trying to make? Yes, please. Well, it feels like the whole plot was around (laughs) (laughs) of this book that I can't remember the title of. It does exist. I'm going to go find it. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you know what book I'm talking about, please, please tweet and use the hashtag because I need to know. And I'm not going to find it on my own either. Hashtag save cat's dignity. I was doing so well. I got everything right except the plot. Literally would have protected you so much more the other way around. I'm, I'm actually crying and like so we've gone from like this really heavy like, subject I, to like ridiculous. Like, I think if you'd been better friends, you would have just lied and told me that I got it right and then like told me later on. <laughs> um so, so the whole plot is about trying to what? Yeah. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Sad point. <sighs> Um, there were other things that I wanted to say about the books. Do you remember what they uh, are? Literally, um, proper English, one of my notes was, it's pretty woke. That's it. <laughs> okay. Did you want to elaborate? Not really. It's just pretty woke, I guess. That's all I can say. Pretty woke. Is it, is it fair to say that you think Lucy and Catherine were too polite? To each other, you mean? Yeah, like just about their, like just in general as characters. I just think the actual attraction between them didn't really come out until, like, I just, I don't know, I just, it was, yeah, the attraction was too gentle for me, I felt. Like this morning when I started reading The Fling by Rebecca Weatherspoon, I was like, yes, this was what I was looking for. I was looking for. Should I try that one as well? Oh, it's not historical and it's not com- comparable in any way, shape or form other than that it has two heroines. Like that's literally the only commonality. So it's really unfair of me to be comparing them. No, but I but, mean we're talking about WLW generally, right? And I do, re- I do read contemporary. But it's almost like it's not fair to compare an erotic romance and a sweet romance. Like they do different things, right? Yeah, but was this meant to be a sweet romance? It felt it's felt sweeter than your standard romance. Yeah, like actually, I, would say that, I like think I would agree Dare, with that. Yeah, a, like a Tessa Dare or a Courtney Milan or any of those other like really popular um, historical romance authors, all those kind of very mainstream historical romance authors that had a higher heat level than this book, which surprised me. Well, and when I started reading The Fling, I was like, yeah, this is what I wanted. This is what I was looking for. An immediate attraction and a, and a kind of an aggressive approach to a relationship I think that's let desire play a bigger part yeah let lust yes. let lust play a bigger part because I, I know that a romance novel doesn't need sex I know that but sex to me in romance novels has been really important in establishing chemistry in establishing emotions it leads to it or it enhances it it builds it so if you don't have 
people who can't keep their eyes off each other, who can't stop thinking about each other, who are obsessing about the little yeah, things. Yeah, I think that's what I was missing. That How, like yeah, can you your believe whole it? world just kind of narrows down to this person because mm. your attraction is so strong. But the whole world had all these other things, even when the attraction was supposed to be at its strongest. Business as usual, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, Rudy, you completely disagree. Yeah, kind of. I think that there was there was a lot of very subtle work that was going on in it. And reading The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics is probably the slowest I've read any book in a very long time. I think it took me about two weeks to get through. Is that because you wanted to savour it or you didn't feel the urge to keep moving? No, I, I did want to savour it. There, Look, there are parts where it, where it dragged for me and that also would have contributed to the slowing down. But even when it was dragging, like, the writing was so good that I was like, all right, well, I don't know. I just... <sighs> but I'm getting self-conscious about my beige choices. So, like... No, I think you've made really compelling arguments and I I still remain conflicted about the fact that I that I don't like it and I haven't liked many of the WLWs that I've been reading. But do I don't you, know, I'm going to read Cat Sebastian and suss it out. Do you feel like, because I, I wonder if part of why I was looking at it so hard is that like this was quite literally the first WLW that I've read. And so then also, and then like I read quite a few in a really short amount of time and like maybe some of it is unfamiliarity with the, like it's, it's not a subgenre, but like some of it is like, there's not, there's not a huge body of work that these authors are able to kind of draw on. So like it's kind of like what Jen Halleck talks about with thinking about the chronotopes, yeah, where they have to build the world around the characters. Because you can't assume. I'm wondering if some of some of the problems that I had with it might have been because it's not a world that I am used to. So, like, the kind of shorthand that that can exist within other historical, like, historical romances that are het romance, they can take shortcuts that this one doesn't necessarily get to take it's got to spell out a, a little bit more and it's I, got to lay more groundwork for us yeah my biggest fear from the conversations that we've had is that people people will listen to our podcast and say fuck they are dissatisfied with books that are political and dissatisfied with books that are too woke just like these other people who don't want to see these relationships or these people represented in our books and it's like the arguments are totally different but they're saying similar things. Do you know what I'm? Do you know what do, I do? do you just... But like, I think. I mean, I think it kind of boils down to we are critiquing from a place of good faith. Yes. Yes. Like... Absolutely. I think it's funny because the breakout mainstream MM or MLM Lover at Last, I think, was the breakout mainstream because it was published as a as a hardcover, big format in all the major stores. Had a similar issue. When you looked at the actual story, the love story, and put all the love stories together, it was like this tiny little novella compared to the weight of the the rest of the story. I'm going to disagree that J.R. Ward's writing is anywhere near the quality of Olivia Did Waits. I? Did and I also, say that? I will did say. I, did I actually? So, just stop. Just, just. Like, I just, I just on, dislike that we're comparing on. the two. But also, J.R. Ward did a lot of work prior to that book. And I think that's where the pacing was a little bit off in Lover at Last because some of the story was in previous books. I can't believe you just steamroll it over right. me. <laughs> that kind of no, because you were just going to yell at me and I didn't want to be yelled at. But you so. steamrolled <laughs> over Gabby to make a wrong point. <laughs> like, like, who the fuck cuts off someone else just me. to be wrong? Me. me. I'm not wrong. I'm right. I'm crying. It was a terrible <laughs> book. I didn't like that book at all. You did like the book. I probably said I liked it at the time. I don't like it anymore. Because not only did you write a review where you liked it. Did I? I'm going to have to read that. But again. we, like, this year. 
We recorded an entire episode about me having finally read the book. And then you had to be reminded (laughs) that you did, in fact, like it. I was like, no, I'm even reconstructing. Every time I think you. of it, it just annoys me more. So it's been a while now since that's been out. So my resentment has been allowed to flourish, simmer and flourish. See, 2013. Really? So it's been a long time. So you attacked me. I just, I just want it. you to like quietly, I'm going to turn your microphone off. Just quietly <laughs> sit there. Just have a read of your own <laughs> review for a minute. It's done. It's gone. But guess what? It's lost because people now think I'm comparing J.R. Ward's writing to Olivia Waite's writing. So wow. Thanks, Kat. My gosh. Is Kat there? Did you really turn her microphone off? I can't hear anything. Why can't I hear anything? It's really scary. Because I turned off both of us because we're in the same room. <laughs> Guys, you can't actually do that. I felt so alone. I was like, did the line drop? Like, it's very difficult. Make it, oh do, you, do you remember your point? No, it's gone. I've really forgotten it. I've really forgotten okay. the point. It was that Lover at Last was like kind of the big breakout MLM and that the romance had been the romance outweighed. Had the same, it had the same kind of problems of, yeah, the romance being outweighed by the subplots. Yeah, obviously it's a more enhanced version because that was exaggerated very, very much so. But this is with celestial mechanics, obviously, <laughs> obviously they're on the page a lot more. The main characters are on the page a lot more than Quinn and Blay. But I do feel like just the weighting of what is given the relationship versus the issues of the story is unbalanced. I think that's fair. I just realized I gave it four stars. So I'm downgrading it right now so that. People can't tell me you. I liked it. I please, told you. please make that editor's note and say yeah. in the year 2019 because no. that's really that's really bad if you don't tell anyone. That's all for this episode. Huge thanks to our amazing audio producer Rudy Bremer, who volunteers her time to make us all sound better than we deserve. You can find the show notes for episode 74 at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast, including London's Perfect Scoundrel by Suzanne Enoch, which is the book I confused with Devil in Winter by Loretta Chase. Just kidding. I knew it was Lisa Claypass. If you enjoy the show, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other listeners like you find the show. In the next episode, we'll have more books and romance and a more complete manifesto. In the meantime, please visit us at bookthingo.com.au and have a fabulous fortnight of reading. Okay, so don't laugh, but like, what books are we talking about again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> before I tell you, can I just can I just address what you just said because I don't want to lose my train of thought. Yeah, yeah.